Welcome to another episode of Ayana Explains It All. This week, I will deep dive into the recent legislative and judicial assaults on the American woman's right to choose, right to privacy, and reproductive rights. You guessed it. It's bad. I've got some explaining to do. Let's get started. Have you all seen the movie Revolutionary Road? Oh. It starts uh, Kate Winslet and... Leonardo DiCaprio, as a married suburban couple in the 1950s in the United States, struggling to cope with their personal problems and the problems in their marriage. April, played by Kate Winslet, wants to be an actress. But she meets Frank, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, at a party, and they fall in love and get married. He was a longshoreman, and after they wed, he upgrades his career, and they upgrade to a life in a tidy house on Revolutionary Road in Connecticut. Frank works 10 hours a day and is bored by the tedium of his job. April, the actress, is a failure in her career ambitions, unfortunately. They have two kids, but no passion. They have a tidy life, but they're unhappy and yearn for more and decide to move to Paris. While planning their escape to Paris, April discovers she is pregnant, again, and not happy. She said the first child was a mistake, and the second one was to prove that the first one was not a mistake. So what is the third one? It doesn't matter. She didn't want to be pregnant, and she wants to have an abortion. This upsets Frank, who, for some reason, is very concerned about keeping his marriage and family intact, even though he is having an affair with his secretary. But another child means they have to stay in Connecticut. Their existing children, their existing life did not thrill them. I mean, the street that they live on is just cookie-cutter beige. Everything is beige. Frank goes to work and everything is gray. Everything looks like how you would expect a 1950s suburban, very white, middle-class life to look. A child means no wild adventures in Paris. And while April is contemplating her future, Frank gets a job promotion and reconsiders their move. April makes the brave and personal choice for her day to end her pregnancy. Now, she doesn't do this at a doctor's office. She doesn't do it in any kind of clinical setting. April gives herself a vacuum aspiration abortion at home. And like many women before her and after her who give themselves abortions in that era before abortion was legalized, April dies in the hospital from blood loss. Now, this movie came out in 2008. And by that time, I had already had two kids. And it was the first time I had actually seen a movie with actors that I knew deal with the issue of abortion. Yeah. I mean, I've seen so many movies, whatever. But this is the first movie that I remember starkly every time I think about abortion. I think about April giving herself that home abortion and bleeding on the floor of her, I think it was her kitchen. She was bleeding to death. 
and they get to the hospital and they don't show her dying, they allude to her dying. You see Leonardo DiCaprio broken up by this. And it was the first time that I, seeing on the movie screen, the horror of that choice for a woman. Now, this story was written by a man. The director of this movie was a man. But it captured, it captured having to make the choice to terminate a pregnancy. Yeah, it's, it's a horrible choice to have to make. No one makes it easy, easily. No one goes into getting pregnant or goes into having sex with a man thinking, oh, I'll just get an abortion if I get pregnant. No, it's like with anything, any medical choice you have to make. You want to get a hysterectomy. You want to get uh, shoulder replaced. You want to get a facelift. No, you want to get your, your, your stomach uh, reduced so that you can lose weight. You have to really think about it. You have to really think about it. And there are all these hoops you have to jump through. There are all these. It's not an easy decision is what I'm trying to say. And for people to say that it is an easy decision, you're fooling yourself. You are absolutely fooling yourself. Even the decision to get on birth control for women and girls is agonizing because we think immediately, what is this going to do to our bodies, to our hormones? How is it going to affect our mood? How is it going to affect our periods, et cetera, et cetera? It's all difficult. It was after I had my second child that I understood a woman's decision to carry a fetus is not made lightly. There are forces pulling at us, wanting us to provide an heir or a stock, fulfill dreams that others have of seeing people with their DNA grow. It is not romantic or lovely, even though the movie Revolutionary Road was built as a drama or, or a romantic movie. There's nothing romantic about the choice that April made, about the actions that she took to save herself. It's not a pretty Pinterest post, but the poor treatment of American women, which I explored in previous episodes, from unequal wages to personal safety to mental health to maternal health, poor maternal health, is only going to get worse. It states, Supreme Court is poised to overturn Roe v. Wade and Casey versus Planned Parenthood as we saw what we weren't supposed to see in a leaked draft opinion published in Politico in the Dobbs case where the Supreme Court is to decide if Roe v. Wade should remain the law of the land. But before we even get to that discussion, I would like to say, first and foremost, that in my 43 years of life on Earth, I have never been more disgusted with this country. And I have lived here my entire life. I've been black here, been Muslim here, been Muslim and a woman, I've been a black American Muslim woman, and I have never been more disgusted since I started doing this podcast and finding out just how low 
the placement, the value is on the life of Black American women. This country is anti-women. It is anti-every woman of every kind, of every group, nationality, color, race. This is no country for old women, no country for young women. The U.S., the United States, is a white man's playground, and we're allowed to play on it only with their permission. And here it is, in a recently leaked draft opinion from the U.S. Supreme Court, forced birth will be the law of the land. Forced birth in a country without guaranteed paternal leave, without universal health care, without universal affordable child care, without accessible mental and physical health care in many regions, regions with food deserts, regions with environmental depression, regions with poor public education, forced birth in a country with a high maternal death rate for women of color, specifically black women who have the highest maternal death rate in this country due to racism in the healthcare industry, forced birth in a country without guaranteed equal wages for women and men, particularly, again, women of color, forced birth in a country with a white supremacist ruling class, forcing black women to give birth without a plan for their babies is what's coming. Forcing black women to give birth without a plan for their babies once the babies are born is sadistic. It is cruel. Never mind the black maternal death rate, black babies are more likely to die during maternal gestation and after birth than any other race of children. Forced birth in abysmal circumstances of prenatal and postnatal care because it suits your religious extremism and socionomic values to produce a domestic supply of infants is coming. And whatever hits white women hits black women triple. It always affects women of color and our children worse than it affects white women. So who do you think are going to be the biggest losers in this? All of us are going to be the biggest losers, but the impact is going to be felt more on racial minorities. So how did we get here? In 1970, Jane Roe, which is a a fictional name used in court documents to protect the plaintiff's identity at the time, filed a lawsuit against Henry Wade, the district attorney of Dallas County, Texas, where she resided. She challenged a a Texas law making abortion illegal except by a doctor's orders to save a woman's life. In her lawsuit, Roe alleged that the state laws were unconstitutionally vague and abridged her right of personal privacy, protected by the 1st, 4th, 5th, 9th, and 14th Amendments. Personal right to privacy, she argued, is protected by the 1st, 4th, 5th, 9th, and 14th Amendments. In January 1973, the U.S. Supreme Court agreed, ruled that the Constitution of the United States protects a woman's 
protects a pregnant woman's liberty to choose to have an abortion without excessive government restriction. Yay! Fine, cool, great, wonderful. Yes, body autonomy, hands off my privacy, guaranteed by the U.S. Constitution. That was a great day. I wasn't born yet, (laughs) but I've seen the papers and I've heard the stories. In Roe v. Wade, the court decided that inherent in the due process clause of the 14th Amendment is a fundamental right to privacy that protects a pregnant woman's choice to have an abortion. However, this right is balanced against the government's interest in protecting women's health and protecting the potentiality of human life. The Texas law challenged in the case violated this right, according to the Supreme Court. A state law that broadly prohibits abortion without respect to the stage of pregnancy or other interest violates that right. That is, a broad sweeping abortion ban is illegal. Although the state has legitimate interest in protecting the health of pregnant women, (laughs) yeah, although the state has legitimate interest in protecting the health of pregnant women and the potentiality of human life, the relative weight of each of these interests varies over the course of the pregnancy, and the law must account for this variability. Now, what do they mean by that? In the first trimester of pregnancy, the state may not regulate the abortion decision. We all know the first trimesters, the first three months, states are not allowed to, though they have tried, many of them have tried since Roe v. Wade. Only the pregnant woman and her attending physician can make that decision in the first trimester. In the second trimester, the state may impose regulations on abortion that are reasonably related to maternal health. In the third trimester, once the fetus reaches the point of viability, a state may regulate abortions or prohibit them entirely, so long as the laws contain exceptions for cases when abortion is necessary to save the life or health of the mother. Now, We've all heard that Roe v. Wade makes abortion legal. Abortions were already happening. They just weren't happening in a clinical setting, and they weren't happening with the protection of the laws. They weren't happening in a manner where a woman was not afraid she was either going to die or be put in prison, because that is what was happening. The court affirmed Roe, Later, in 1992, in the case of Planned Parenthood versus Casey, in in answering the question, can a state require women who want an abortion to obtain informed consent, wait 24 hours if married, notify their husbands, and if minors, obtain parental consent without violating their right to abortion as guaranteed by Roe v. Wade? Now, remember, I told you states tested the limitations that they could put on abortion. And they've been so sneaky. My God, they have been dirty and disgusting. They will do more to try to force a woman to have a baby than they will to protect a woman who is pregnant 
than to protect a child who was born into the society of these different states. They will do more to force a woman to have a baby than they will to protect her baby once it is born. It's an obsession. It's a disgusting, awful obsession. The obsession with women's bodies, again, goes back to control vis-a-vis a white man's desire to have a woman put in a certain place. In Casey, the Pennsylvania legislator, legislature amended its abortion control law in 1988 and 1989 Among the new provisions, the law required informed consent and a 24-hour waiting period prior to the procedure. A minor seeking an abortion required the consent of one parent, and this is even if the minor had been raped, even if the minor had been sexually assaulted, she still needed permission from one of her parents to have an abortion if she was pregnant. But the law allowed for a judicial bypass procedure. And a married woman seeking an abortion had to indicate that she notified her husband of her intention to abort the fetus. How disgusting. How disgusting. We go from having to put laws on the books that say that a married woman can be raped by her husband because, yeah, that was that wasn't illegal for the longest time in many states. There was no marital rape law. To now, if the man rapes her, she has to get his permission to abort their fetus if she gets pregnant. A federal appeals court upheld all of the provisions except for the husband notification requirement. In a bitter, and I do mean bitter, five to four decision, the U.S. Supreme Court again reaffirmed Roe, but it upheld most of the Pennsylvania legislature's provisions. For the first time since Roe, the justices imposed a new standard to determine the validity of laws restricting abortions. The new standard asks whether a state abortion regulation has the purpose or effect of imposing an undue burden, which is defined as a substantial obstacle in the path of a woman seeking an abortion before the fetus attains viability. Under this standard, the only provision to fail the undue burden test was the husband notification requirement. So, they could make a woman wait 24 hours. They had to obtain informed consent. Informed consent requires that the physician explain the abortion method he will he or she will use and any risks associated with it as well as the possible physical and psychological consequences without specifying what must be discussed and to advise on abortion alternatives so here we go a woman needs to understand exactly what she's doing when she does this you think for 1 minute A woman doesn't fully understand what she's doing. We don't need all of this explained to us. Believe me, we've gone through it over and over in our heads. We've agonized over it. I'm not going to say that no woman does it, 
but I venture to guess that few women ever go into this thinking, gosh, I know, I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no idea what I'm doing. We know what we're doing. We're choosing to not carry a fetus. That is the only reason we need. We don't want to do it. But informed consent makes sure you understand what you're doing. What you're, you're going to do to your body, what you're going to do to your psyche and the alternatives to abortion. Yeah, like being forced to carry a fetus you don't want. That's the alternative. Now in Dobbs versus Jackson, the case before the Supreme Court that will decide the fate of Roe v. Wade, the case concerns the constitutionality of a 2018 Mississippi state law which bans most abortions after the first 15 weeks of pregnancy. Lower courts in the state have prevented enforcement of the law with preliminary injunctions. Now again, the right is to the right of privacy, and privacy includes making choices about your health, your body. It's not just the right to an abortion. It is the right to privacy. Now, strict constitutionalists like Clarence Thomas Justice Clarence Thomas, excuse me, argues that what is inherent in in the Constitution is what it says and limits interpretation of legal and constitutional language to the literal meaning of this language at the time of passage. So the, the, the Constitution was ratified in 1788, right? when only white men were allowed to own land, when they owned slaves, when black people were not even people yet. Remember, we became three-fifths later on down the road, but we weren't even recognized as people. We were chattel. This was before women could vote. Obviously, black people couldn't vote, but they could fight in the wars. So at the time the Constitution was ratified, Land-owning white men were the only people who had a voice. They were the only people who had power. And strict constitutionalism says that whatever these people decided at the time is it. And the amendments that came after that, that's it. You don't read anything into it. You don't add anything. And if you want to add something, you have to pass an amendment. So... This theory contrasts with a loose construction of laws which allows the broader discretion by judges to determine intent in legal language, such as in Roe. So Roe v. Wade is decided that there was the spirit, the intent of the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment allows for a right to privacy. Right. So the due process clause says. Everyone is guaranteed due process of law before the government may deprive someone of life, liberty or property. In other words, it doesn't prohibit the government from depriving you of these substantive rights, such as life, liberty or property. It simply requires the government to follow a process 
before it denies those rights. So the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment restricts the states from depriving a person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, whereas the Fifth Amendment Due Process Clause applies to the federal government. So when it comes to abortion, the Supreme Court established a right of personal privacy protected by the Due Process Clause that includes the right of a woman to determine whether or not to bear a child. It is also significant that the court held this right to privacy to be fundamental and drawing upon the strict standard of review found in equal protection litigation held that the due process clause required that any limits on this right be justified only by a compelling state interest and be narrowly drawn to express only the legitimate state interests at stake. So the justices who are on the Republican side say that there is no right to privacy. The, the, the due process clause does not guarantee the right to privacy. The Fifth Amendment does not guarantee the right to privacy. The Fourteenth Amendment does not guarantee the right to privacy. There is no right to privacy in the Constitution. Therefore, there is nothing to protect. Therefore, whatever right arises from that, the right to decide when to bear children, the right to decide whom you want to marry, the right to marry someone from a different race or from a different gender, those rights are not protected. Oh yeah, this isn't just about abortion. No, this is about choosing for yourself who you want to be, who you want to spend your life with, who you want to love, who you want to marry. Do you want to use contraception to prevent pregnancy? And if you get pregnant, would you be able to terminate the pregnancy? This goes beyond abortion. What is about to happen is going to be a dismantling of the entire right to privacy. And if justices like Clarence Thomas had their way, there would be a dismantling of every right found inherent in the amendments in the Constitution, including the right to expression, freedom of expression. Yeah, the First Amendment is speech and press and petitioning the government. There's nothing that says freedom of expression. But there have been court cases U.S. Supreme Court cases decided on the inherent right of freedom of expression. And every time this comes up, here comes this old ogre coming out of his uh, cave to say, well, the, the Constitution doesn't say that, so I'm going uh, to say no, I'm going to vote no. Is it in the Constitution? If it ain't, well, that's too bad. So, <clears throat> because Roe, because the right to abortion has not been codified, though it very fucking well needs to be, it is vulnerable to being overturned at any time by the SCOTUS. And that time may be when this draft opinion. Whether this is the final draft or not, some form of this opinion is going to be handed down in, I believe, June 
of this year, 2022. And when that happens, even though Roe is established precedent, even though it is the law of the land, even though it is constitutional, it will be overturned. And then the states can scramble to figure out what they're going to do about abortion. But for decades since Roe was decided, states have tested the limits of Roe, passing abortion-restricting laws and waiting for the lawsuits to play out to see how far they can go with their restrictions, like in Casey, like in Planned Parenthood versus Casey. 22 states already have the strictest abortion laws, including provisions for criminal prosecution. Those states include, some of these will not surprise you at all, Alabama, Arizona, Arkansas, Georgia, Idaho, Iowa, Kentucky, Louisiana, Michigan, Mississippi, Missouri, North Dakota, Ohio, Oklahoma, South Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, West Virginia, Wisconsin, and Wyoming. And four other states have less restrictive laws, but laws limiting access to abortion nonetheless. Those states are Florida, Indiana, Montana, and Nebraska. And if the SCOTUS, sorry, the Supreme Court of the United States, overturns Roe, these states are likely to ban abortion altogether, sending this country back to the pre-Roe days and the days of April and Frank and the homemade vacuum aspiration abortion, the back alley abortions, the drinking the bottles of lye to terminate a pregnancy, of women bleeding out from unsafe abortions, of women traveling interstate and intercontinentally to places without restrictions, or, as we have seen in recent years, stocking up on the abortion pill to administer at home. Now, one state has already jumped the gun on this, Tennessee, and outlawed the prescribing of the abortion pill. And the fine for this, for anyone prescribing it, is $50,000. Now, some are arguing that this also stretches to contraception of any kind, but I didn't read it that way. But if you read it that way, please correct me. But so far, it's just the abortion pill. It, some people are saying that it's also Plan B, which is not an abortion pill. Can I just say, I didn't realize how stupid men were about reproduction until I had to discuss with a man I was married to about Plan B. Plan B is emergency contraception that delays ovulation so that the sperm that has just entered the vagina doesn't reach an egg to fertilize it. Now, do I have to explain what ovulation is? It's when the ovaries release an egg once a month to either be fertilized or pushed out through menstruation if it is not fertilized. Now, when females are born, we're born with every egg we're ever going to have. So, once you're born, that's it. 
And then once you start menstruating, it can happen from anywhere between ages 8 to 14. Yes, it's really that bad. It's gotten worse, I should say. Your body starts to release an egg once a month. Some, some women, rarely though, some women release two eggs. That's how you get twins, fraternal twins. Some eggs split, make uh, identical twins. But every month, it's either going to be fertilized or it isn't. So emergency contraception. Now, what contraception does is it, 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 it thickens the uterine lining to prevent, uh, to prevent not ovulation, but prevent the sperm from reaching the egg. So the egg is still coming. But it's not going to be fertilized because the uterine lining is thickened to protect that from happening. So it's not like you you take contraception and your body's storing up all these eggs because they're not being released. No, they're still being released. It's just that the sperm, if it goes in, can't reach them to fertilize them. Now, yes, some women do get pregnant. On contraception because the sperm is strong. <laughs> it finds a way in. Or if you've already ovulated and the egg has been released and you have sex within that window, even if you take emergency contraception, which kind of really it, it tries to build up a nice barrier, you might even have a, an early period, you might even do some spotting or whatever. If you've already had the egg fertilized, if the egg is already fertilized by the sperm, emergency contraception can't do anything about that. It doesn't abort the fertilized egg. It doesn't do anything. It's like a, a, a sugar pill. It does nothing. So if you're already pregnant, Emergency contraception can't do anything. Just like regular contraception, if you manage to get pregnant while you're on contraception, nothing is going to happen, at least in the first trimester. Now, we, you, you can Google what happens maybe in the second or the third, but I'm hoping by then you will know that you're pregnant. Although I've seen some TV shows, some women just have no idea. But in the first trimester... If you're pregnant, you're pregnant. So contraception doesn't abort a fetus. Emergency contraception doesn't abort a fetus. The only thing that aborts a fetus is an injury, maybe, or a pregnancy termination procedure. Or spontaneous ending to a pregnancy called a miscarriage. So please, for the love of God. Please stop saying that emergency contraception aborts a fetus. It does not. It cannot. It's not intended for that. It's not made to do that. It cannot do that. And if you are already pregnant and you take plan B, then you're pregnant. Okay? And a little sidetrack, a little science 
I'm sure somebody will correct me on something I said, but back to the discussion of the states. Like I said, the SCOTUS is primed to overturn Roe. We're going back to the days of April and Frank and the back alley abortions. So I live in Ohio, and the current governor is Mike DeWine. Love him or hate him, I don't like him at all. And I don't care what he did right during the the COVID pandemic. Whatever right he's done has been erased, overshadowed, wiped out by his stand on reproductive rights. Removing funding from Planned Parenthood. Deciding that he was going to pass a heartbeat bill. That is, if you hear the heartbeat, you can't have an abortion. That's a six-week abortion ban, he says. And using funds to open up family planning clinics. But these are not family planning clinics. These are clinics where women receive religious counseling on alternatives to abortion. But it's still just forced pregnancy from a pregnancy you don't want to have. What they're trying to do is force you, make you keep and carry the fetus. And they don't care how it got in there, if you were raped, if you, you know, were on birth control and you had one fail, they don't care. Doesn't care. But it doesn't even matter what your reason is. It's your choice. They don't want you to have this choice. Mike DeWine does not want you to have the cho- this choice. The GOP, Republicans, Republicans, excuse me, do not want you to have this choice. They want you to carry a fetus and they want it to be born and then they want to tell you to fuck right off. You and your baby. (laughs) You and your baby can just fuck right the fuck off. The heartbeat bill in the state of Ohio has been in limbo for nearly three years because the federal court said, no, this goes too far, so we're going to put a stay on this. But Governor Mike DeWine has indicated that he will ask the courts to lift the stay on this bill. He has also indicated that he would sign a bill banning all abortions if Roe is overturned by the U.S. Supreme Court. He believes this is a noble mission, a noble mission of his, that is, to protect the most vulnerable of society, fetuses. Well, sir, I'm here to tell you, in case no one has, that fetuses are actually not the most vulnerable of our society. Already born children are. Already born children, particularly children in the state of Ohio. A recent study comparing childhood education in the nation showed reduced preschool enrollment and stalled spending by the state of Ohio to help educate young children. Hey kids, welcome to the world. Good luck. See ya. Not sure what you're going to do for the rest of your life. We don't really care. Bye. Journalist Susan Tebbin summarized the National Institute for Early Education Research 
Research's annual survey, which focuses on how states funded preschool in 2020 to 2021 versus enrollment numbers in the state. Now, they looked at all 50 states, but I'm only going to talk about Ohio because this is where I live and this is where my children are. Even though I care about all children, I care about all the babies. You guys should go and look up this study. Journalist Susan Tebbin summarized the National Institute for Early Education Research's annual survey, which focuses on how states funded preschool in 2020 to 2021 versus enrollment numbers in the state. In Ohio, spending for preschool programs decreased by more than $12 million. And the state only met five of the 10 benchmarks for quality that the Institute analyzes. Ohio is not within reach of serving at least 70% of four-year-olds across state preschool, Head Start, and special education. Ohio spends $4,000 per child, ranking it 33rd in the nation in state spending on preschoolers. Enrollment numbers showed only 2% of three-year-olds were enrolled in preschool in 2020 to 2021. <laughs> yeah, some of this is because of the pandemic. However, when only 9% of four-year-olds went to preschool in the same year, some states looked at this and said, okay, we're going to increase spending to preserve capacity. Not Ohio. Ohio had $72 million and spent $60 million and still had decreased enrollment. Ohio did not use any federal funding provided by the TANF, that is the Temporary Assistance for Needy Families, for preschool funding. Ohio did not use any federal funding for preschool funding. And Governor DeWine only recently decided to use funds, but for things other than preschool funding. Again, fuck them kids. <laughs> Pardonnez-moi. He is big on creating alternatives to abortion, however. Loves to throw money at that. Such as forcing women to have babies and then providing them with religious indoctrination to make them feel guilty about their desire to terminate their pregnancy. And we think, ah, oh, well, if we don't have abortion, at least we'll have access to birth control, right? Mm-mm. Not so fast. Now, put away your opinion on abortion. In fact, I don't even give a fuck what you think about abortion. You don't get to have an opinion on my right, my right to choose, and I don't get to have an opinion on your right to choose, okay? Let's just put that to rest right now. Consider what Roe has ushered in for this country. As I said before, this case is more than just about abortion. It's about to right, the right to privacy. Roe is about more than just our reproductive choices. Roe v. Wade is about our personal choices when it comes to our bodies, our health, the use of contraception. In Griswold v. Connecticut, the Supreme Court outlined the right to privacy in the marital bedroom. This is the case that deals with contraception. 
contraception laws. The landmark 1965 decision protects the right to marital privacy as well as the use of contraceptives and is among the decision that supports Roe and created the inferred right to privacy, inferred inherent in the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment and the 5th Amendment. Now, privacy, okay, back to privacy, is directly related to liberty. And if there is no right to privacy, then there is no liberty. You are not entitled to liberty when it comes to privacy, when it comes to your reproductive choices, when it comes to your decision to take contraception, when it comes to your decision to have a hysterectomy because you don't ever want to get pregnant ever and you don't want to have to be on birth control for the rest of your life. When it comes to a decision to terminate a pregnancy, you have no liberty, you have no privacy, you have no choice. If the state says you cannot have an abortion, if the state says you cannot use contraception, if the state says you have no right to privacy when it comes to your reproductive choices, when it comes to who you want to marry, when it comes to the color of the person you want to spend the rest of your life with, then that is what the fuck it is. Now, these matters have long been decided. We know Oberfell and we know Obergfell, rather, and we know Loving. We know the Loving decision said that it was okay for people of different races to marry, that the states cannot infringe upon the right to marry for people of different races. And Oberfell says that the state cannot infringe upon the right of people same sex to marry. So just imagine what's going to happen once Roe is overturned. The inherent right to privacy is gone. The state can now infringe upon your marital bedroom. And I say marital because that's the language that's used in the Griswold decision. But it, it's what goes on in your bedroom. Who, you're, who you have sex with. How you have sex. What you do when you have sex. What you use to prevent getting pregnant while you're having sex. But it says that the state can dip into your business. The state can get all up in your business. This is about your right to make choices in your best interest. They are telling you that the state has a right to be in there. Now that should piss you off. That should piss you right off and make you call your legislatures and say, no ma'am. Nope, nope, nope. No, sir, no, ma'am. You ain't coming into my house. You ain't coming into my relationship. You're not coming into my body and telling me what to do. That is none of your business. Overturning Roe weakens all rights associated with the right to privacy. In fact, it dismantles the entire system of judicial precedent that has protected this inherent right, this undeniable right to privacy from infringement by the government. So once Roe is overturned, then what? We have this cachet supply of babies, this domestic supply of infants, as the, the justices in the draft opinion stated. Yeah, they that America needs a domestic supply of infants. The cachet of babies. 
<laughs> the cachet of babies, I love it. Anti-choice proponents rarely stop to think what happens to children when they're born. That is, do they have proper nutrition? Early education opportunities in Ohio, probably not. Child care, primary education, college education, safe homes, secure environments, safe neighborhoods. Those same people point to adoption as an alternative to abortion. Now, talk to people who were adopted as babies or small children or adults who as children spent time in foster care and ask them if it was the angel service that anti-choice proponents make it out to be. Many will say, yeah, oh, my, my adopted parents were great. They were great. Some will tell you to go to hell because it was hell for them. And especially in foster care, kids who go into foster care usually go from home to home to home to home to home. It, they could be in 16 homes before they age out of the system. They could be in 20 homes before they age out of the system. And each home is different. And each time they have to pack up all of their things and go to wherever the state tells them to go. And when they're 18, that's it. You're on your own. If you haven't been adopted, you're on your own. That's it. Figure it out. So it's not the angel service that people make it out to be. And when women are forced to bear and raise children they did not want or that they were impregnated with against their will or that meant they had to put some dreams on hold, like our lovely April, they may take their anger and frustration out on their child. Think about the suicides and infanticides with women and young women who are afraid of their parents knowing they're pregnant or who are not aware of the choices available to them so they dispose of their baby their baby think of the stories we've we've heard recently a young woman put her baby in a dumpster and it was caught on video a young woman uh, goes to the prom has the baby in the bathroom and flushes it young woman has a baby and buries it in her backyard. What are these women going through? What emotional, what mental turmoil are they going through when they make this decision to bury their baby? To put their baby in a dumpster. This isn't about abortion. This is about, I know I'm pregnant. I know I don't want to have a baby. I don't know what to do about it. I don't want to tell anybody. I'm scared to tell anyone. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And they make this very rash decision, very rash and dangerous decision, and they probably give birth alone, and they dispose of the baby. Now, this isn't the same as abortion. Abortion is ending a pregnancy. This isn't the same as delivering the baby and then deciding to dispose of the baby. Some women feel extremely desperate in those moments. Maybe they don't want their partner to know they're pregnant. They don't want their husband to know they're pregnant or they've had five kids and they don't want a sixth. But their religion tells them that they can't have an abortion. Or it's too late to have an abortion. 
they become desperate. And this is where proper sex education comes into play early, but also proper mental health treatment for women. That is very lacking in this country. The options, the access is lacking in this country. And so much, as I told you before, so much goes into the decision to end a pregnancy. But something, so much goes into the decision to carry a pregnancy and then to raise a child. These are all separate things. It doesn't go bam, 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 bam. These are all separate decisions. The decision to get pregnant or not. The decision to stay pregnant or not. The decision to carry the pregnancy. And then the decision to give birth. And then the decision to raise the child or not. And your hormones at the time when you're, when you're pregnant and then you give birth, your hormones are just, they're up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. And if you already have depression or anxiety, it's going to get worse. Or you may develop depression and anxiety after the baby is born. You could develop psychosis, postpartum psychosis, after the baby is born. So saying women should know better, fine, we should know better. But some of us just cannot get there. Some of us were not armed with the right tools to understand our bodies, number one, how to raise a child, number two, where to find resources when we're pregnant or when we want to prevent pregnancy. In schools, a lot of school systems, you're not allowed to talk about sex or contraception because there is the belief, the very mistaken belief, that if you talk about it, it's going to encourage kids to have sex and girls to get pregnant. It's going to encourage sex. Okay, well, if you don't want to talk about it at school, Talk about it at home. But are parents talking to their children about contraception? Are they talking to their children about sex? Or are they letting them figure it out? Or are they letting them hear about it on the internet? You have to talk to your kids. You have to let them trust you so that if something happens, a boy gets a girl pregnant or the girl gets pregnant, they can come to you. They're not afraid. They're not allowing themselves to give birth alone. You have to deal with it. There's so much that goes into this that I cannot even believe that people think it's easy for women to do this. It's so easy. It's so simple. It's so wonderful. It's so great. And I can tell you about my own birth stories. I was a grown woman who, had, who was pregnant and had kids, and it was not easy, wonderful, and great. It just was not. And the aftermath, the, the postpartum depression made it even worse. I am now at a point in my life where I absolutely love and adore my kids, and I can't imagine life without them. But it was hard deciding to become pregnant. It was hard being pregnant. It was hard delivering them. It was hard being a single mom raising them. It has been very difficult. So think about the safety of the mother. Think about the suicides and the infanticides and the child abuse and the child neglect that can come from 
women who don't want to have babies, but they're forced to have a baby. And so they take that anger and frustration out on their kid or they take it out on themselves. The federal government, the state, the courts cannot force through removing reproductive choices a woman to carry a fetus without repercussions that will severely harm the mother and the baby. Being pregnant is not easy on a woman's body. It is many physical and emotional changes that while billions of women do it, billions do not also survive it. Billions do not also return to their normal state after being pregnant and giving birth. If you want to carry a fetus and have a baby, be a mother, that is your choice and should not be made for you by any governmental body, any judicial body. The health and well-being of all women and girls is at stake, and for women who are economically disadvantaged in this country, it is your lives that will be placed in the most jeopardy. When women are free, have the liberty to make our own reproductive choices, Women are going to choose ourselves, and it's either going to cost us or cost society. Are you prepared to lose women, lose access to women, because we'd rather live free than be forced to give birth? Now, I'm a Muslim. You see that in the little picture on the logo. I'm a Muslim. Was born and raised in Islam. Islam, however, does not teach that life begins at conception, like uh, Christians believe Christianity does. Islam does not teach that life begins at conception, and abortion is not prohibited in Islam. I know, shocking, oh my God, shock, shock, shock and all, shock and all. It is allowed, is allowed. Now, people can go back and forth about whether there is liberty present in Islamic countries. Remember I talked about liberty being the freedom from government intrusion into your life. Go back and forth about whether that's present in Islamic communities. And I cannot cover that here because it would take days. But what the religion says and what people do, I need you all to understand that those are two different things sometimes, most of the time. The Quran does not cover pregnancy termination. What the Quran does cover is that there is no compulsion in religion and that God gives human beings freedom of will. You have free will. Now, pregnancy termination has been discussed and fatwaed for years in all the schools of thought. But what it comes down to in Islam is that the life of the mother is prioritized over the fetus. The life of the mother is prioritized over the fetus. The well-being of the mother is prioritized over the fetus. In case anyone was wondering, there it is. We do not put the fetus before the mother. And you know why? Because without the mother, there can be no fetus. 
So how would you put one before the other? A woman can go on forever without having, without uh, getting pregnant. But a fetus can't go on without being in some ovaries, growing in, a, in, in ovaries, growing in a womb, in an, amniotic, in an amniotic sac, being delivered out of a woman's body, being delivered out of a female body. But women, girls can go on. So the life of the mother, the well-being of the mother is prioritized over the fetus. Now, whatever you see elsewhere, whatever you see going on, I would love to tell you that's not Islam. But I don't feel like I have the right to say that what people are doing is not Islam. I'm going to tell you what Islam is. What it says, if you look at what people are doing and you see something else, well, hey, maybe mind your business. Just say. <laughs> Maybe that'll be the theme for today. <laughs> Mind your business. Mind your business. Mind your bedrooms. Mind your own sex organs. Mind your contraception. Mind your sex partners. Mind your business. I don't think I covered this yet, but the early goal of restrictive reproductive laws was to keep women in marriage, keep them at home, load them down with children so they wouldn't leave. But then something happened. The government drafted men to endless war after war. Men were killed. Men came back different. But while the husbands and the, the boys, the sons were away, women had to work outside of the home to care for their children. Women were not going to have more children if that meant it interfered with them being able to provide for the ones they already had. Yes, poverty became an issue. Poverty has always been a concern for women of reproductive age. And you know why? Because it is so fucking expensive to have a baby in the United States. It's expensive to carry a baby. For some people, it's expensive to conceive a child. It's expensive to give birth hundreds of thousands of dollars. And if you have uh, pregnancy complications, a premature birth, it could go into the millions. It's expensive to raise a child. This country does not provide a nice life of health, safety, economic, and educational opportunities for all children. We cannot even talk to children about intercourse and sex organs in school. But what I want to impart upon you all is that our bodies are guided by our choices. This is not a power that belongs to the states or to the federal government. The right to choose, the right to privacy, is a fundamental right. The right to choose is the right to determine our futures. And why is it that women and girls, because of our biology, are restricted in determining our futures? It is appalling. Our bodies are guided by our choices, and our choices are our liberties. 
the right to choose as a fundamental right. Any restriction on the right to choose is appalling. This great country that we live in, that is for life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, patriotism, blah, 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 equality, greatness, was founded on equality for land-owning white men. So I guess in that sense, no, it was never going to be a right for women in the Constitution to have body autonomy, to have autonomy over our reproductive choices. Why not guarantee the right to choose to terminate a pregnancy? It is important. Our bodies are guided by our choices. It is important. Why not guarantee the right to privacy? Why not read into the pursuit of liberty the right to be free from governmental intrusion in your reproductive choices? Why allow the government to be a party to your decision to get pregnant, to carry a child, to give birth? It seems simple, right? It seems like everyone should be for the right to choose. You would think overturning Roe leaves the states to determine what a woman can do with her body. Whether she should be forced to carry a fetus or restricted in her use of contraceptives, it will not be this year, however, that Roe will be codified. <laughs> I know it felt like I was leading up to something great there, but no, I'm about to put another pin in another balloon and pop that sucker. It will not be this year, though, that Roe is codified, even though it should be. The Democrat-led Senate this week, May 11th, in fact, will vote on codifying Roe, but... The vote is largely symbolic because the leadership failed to secure the 60 votes needed to pass the bill. Now, I say failed to secure, but the Republicans were never going to vote for this shit. Democrats cannot gather the 50 votes needed to change Senate rules to prevent a filibuster which is just the Senate way for the minority members to prolong debate and delay or prevent a vote on a bill, resolution, amendment, or other debatable questions. So, to get rid of the filibuster, then you can prevent this silliness, and then you can get a bill to the floor to be argued, to be voted on. But filibuster is still in place. Can't get the 50 votes needed to kill the filibuster. Can't get the 60 votes needed to get the bill to be voted on. And Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says that the vote at least will put every member on record for their support or opposition to reproductive rights. And then they'll proceed from there, right? <laughs> yeah, because they haven't had decades. Decades. And this isn't the first time that the Dems have been in control of the Senate. They've had control before. They've had control of the Senate and the Congress at the same time before and of the presidency during President Obama's administration. Now, I will say one good thing about the Affordable Care Act 
which was passed during the Obama administration, it made birth control free. Free for everyone, anyone who needs it. With a doctor's prescription, of course. You can't just walk into a pharmacy and say, hey, give me some birth control. No, you have to, to have a doctor's prescription. There are some employers who have declined to cover it at all. They're not going to follow the rules of the ACA and they don't have to. So if you want birth control, well, you're just going to have to uh, pay for it yourself. Now, it's free if you have insurance is what I meant to say. And now the plan B is over the counter. It costs, I don't know, $30, $40, some ridiculous amount. You used to need a prescription for it, even though the Democrats are in charge. They have had a little bit of pushback from, in the Senate, senators who are against abortion rights, who are Democrats. Joe Manchin from the great state of West Virginia, where they can't even control the meth problem, but they can control what a woman does with her uterus. Yeah, same thing in Ohio. Can't even control your meth problem. Can't control your uh, drug addiction problem, your drug abuse problem from fentanyl and, and opioids. Can't control that. But you'll reach into a woman's home and put your clamps on her uterus. Put your stamp on her body and say, mine. This is for the contribution to the cachet of babies. And Republicans have long shown that they don't give a fuck about women, period. Not just our reproductive rights, but about women, period. People, especially women who are pro-choice, are labeled as baby killers. And more recently, a congressman with a reputation for a certain activity in the young adult community referred to us who are against overturning Roe v. Wade as overeducated and underloved. And perhaps this is an issue for the GOP to wrestle with. Why they feel Americans are overeducated. And consider that with the early discussion of preschool spending in the state of Ohio. (laughs) Why do they think Americans are overeducated, that we're receiving too much education? So they're going to spend less on education. And it's going to start later. They really think Americans receive too much education. That people who have too much education have too much power. Education breeds fear because they know when we know things, when you know things, you accomplish things. You propel yourself ahead. You propel your country ahead. And Americans, many of them, do not want to be brought into the future. They want to stay in the time of April and Frank, where everything is beige, everything is gray. Everything is tidy. The women put on heels and aprons and they bake apple pies and the men go to their factory jobs or their longshoremen jobs or their their tech jobs. And then they come home to a a home cooked meal after they've had a home cooked breakfast and the kids have done their homework and they're outside hitting the the T-ball stick and ball and riding their bikes. 
They want that. They don't want 2022. They don't want 2025. They don't want 2060. They want 1950. But I tell you what, I cannot think of a person who was loved more than someone who was free. Someone who was confident in their choices. Someone who stands in their decisions. If you are not loved properly, you will find it hard to do those things. So yeah, we are over loved. We are properly loved. People who are able to make choices, who are able to stand up for themselves, people who are able to make decisions freely and fully are loved properly. We are not underloved. We are loved properly. And maybe by ourselves. Maybe we figured out how to love ourselves properly and we reached the decision that we were going to do something that is in our own best interest and we did it fully and safely and knowingly. We are not overeducated. We are properly educated. But, but, if you live in certain regions of this country, if you have a certain skin color, you may be undereducated. In a country with a high school graduation rate of only 86%, it is possible to be undereducated. And if you're looking for baby killers, do a Google search of infanticide rates, child abuse rates, child neglect cases, sex crimes against children, child death rates from homicide in the U.S. There is no one in this country less protected than a child already born. We do not have subsidized prenatal care for any one in this country unless you meet income guidelines. There's no guaranteed maternal leave, no social safety nets for single mothers. But if you try to have an abortion, then you could be arrested and jailed. Think about that. And do not believe for a second that what's happening in the courts now does not affect you. Everyone needs to raise their voices about this issue, about the right to privacy, about the right to choose. Remember that Roe v. Wade is about the right to privacy. The Dobson case is about the right to privacy. The Casey case was about the right to privacy. Pro-choice is the only choice when it comes to human rights, and the right to choose is a fundamental human right. Reproductive rights are human rights. They must be codified, universal, and irrevocable. And this has been Ayana Explains It All, brought to you by Facts, Figures, and enlightenment. The following sources were used in the making of this podcast. Law experts warn that leaked SCOTUS draft opinion on Roe v. Wade exposes a weak spot that puts the use of contraceptions and other privacy rights at risk by Lauren Frias and Natalie Musumichi, May 5, 2022, Business Insider Magazine, Roe v. Wade, 
the discussion published in Oye at www.oyez.org slash cases slash 1971 slash 70-18 Planned Parenthood of Southeastern Pennsylvania versus Casey published on Oye www.oye.org slash cases slash 1991 slash 91-74 Wikipedia entry on Roe v. Wade Griswold versus Connecticut, Planned Parenthood versus Casey. The article, Ohio Ranks Low in Child Spending, National Study Shows, by Susan Tebbin of the Ohio Capital Journal, published on May 3, 2022. Vote on abortion rights planned in U.S. Senate next week, but likely will fall short, by Jacob Fischler of the State Newsroom, published on May 6, 2022, and the article, Abortion Rights as Part of Due Process, edited and reviewed by Find Law, Attorney Writers, published at constitution.findlaw.com, slash amendment 5, annotation 08.html. The article, 26 states are certain or likely to ban abortion without Roe. Here's which ones and why. By Elizabeth Nash and Lauren Cross of the Guttmacher Institute. That's G-U-T-T-M-A-C-H-E-R at guttmacher.org. Published on October 28, 2021. Thank you.